Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. I'm not sure if you were around in the month of March, but if you weren't, you still can go online and listen to the podcasts. But I felt like God was leading us as a church to talk about significant living. And if you want to live a significant Christian life, one of the things that will become your reality is you'll realize that you constantly need to realign. You can't be married to the same person for a long period of time until you realize, hey, some things aren't working quite right and we've got to realign our values. Realign, and the fact is our human nature, just who we are as human beings, we all suffer the drift, whether it be because of a disappointment that we didn't expect, or it may be that we just become distracted with the external things of life or the things around us. And it's easy to be doing a Christian life, but not realizing that you're not running on all cylinders. I got a kind of a bit of a mechanical nature to me. And when we were young and we had cars, I remember buying a Datsun 1200. Man, that Datsun 1200, we had speakers in the back. I had long, wavy hair. <laughs> Felt cool. It's kind of like we were underway. We'd always turn the stereo up. And, uh, and then sometimes the car just wasn't running like it ought to run. And back then, of course, that was the four-cylinder car. And so if you know anything about mechanics that had four spark plugs, and often the first thing you'd look at if one of the cylinders wasn't firing is the spark plug. Does it need replacing? Or there may be something wrong with the car. And even though you're moving forward, it's kind of shaky. There's, there's something about it that's not right. Well, in March of this year, we talked about the four things that we really believe builds a significant Christian life. The first one was live kingdom purposed. If you just live for you, if you just live for material things, if you just live with your own gifts and it's about you, the here and the now, you're never gonna find full satisfaction. God wired you and I to live for the bigger picture, things that have an echo, things that make a difference in eternity. We need to live generationally. Not only do we need to live kingdom purpose, but Holy Spirit powered. In other words, I contain on salvation the human heart, the spirit of a human becomes full with the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And he wants to lead us. He wants to show us things. Right now, you may be struggling financially or in business. And you say, COVID has had a huge impact. Do you know that the Holy Spirit knows the future and the present? And he wants to lead us into ways of thinking that are outside. Are you powered by your gift or are you powered by the Holy Spirit? Personally planted. What does that mean? You know, this whole thought of don't become a bonsai. Bonsai Christians are always blaming someone else for their height. They're going to get out of the pot and get planted. The Bible says make sure you get planted in the house. You don't turn up to church when it's convenient. You're a part of an ecosystem that has deep roots, and those roots, they match other roots from other plants. And when the winds blow, you've got strength that you didn't have on your own. You're going to find nutrients when you don't have the nutrients that you need to live. And if you don't live purpose, power, planted, you're never going to discover the fourth one we talked about, which is intentionally partnered. Not just living with a group of people, but you're finding partners, ones that are close in proximity to who you are. And we all drift. 
I was reading just a few weeks ago about Elijah, incredible time. Let me give you the context. Elijah, it seems, is the only prophet left in Israel. What had happened is the Israelites had a king. His name was King Ahab. And he joined together with another nation. And those two nations became one. And the queen of that nation became the queen of Israel with Ahab. Here was the challenge is this other nation was not a God-fearing nation. In fact, they believed in Baal. They believed also in Azra, which were two gods, the God of the sun and the God of the moon. Over a process of time, Ahab, the godly king, began to worship the gods of Jezebel. Jezebel would have the false prophets 400 of them come and sit at her table. And so she began to kill the prophets of God. So as she killed them, you can imagine what it was like to be Elijah, a prophet, because you know that your name was on the list. And yet in the middle of that, God says to Elijah, I want you to go and tell King Ahab that he's gone off track with God. And so you are gonna prophesy no rain for three and a half years. And that lack of rain created drought. And it was like, well, what's going on here? Because we are in a place of drought. But Elijah takes everything that is within him to go and see the king, knowing his head could come off him. Because if Jezebel was there, she literally had a vendetta and her mission was to kill God's prophets. Wow. So here she is. And here Ahab is. They've turned away or he's turned away from God. And so this drought comes. And so in the middle of that, God says again to Elijah, I want you to call the prophets of Baal. There were 450 of them. And I want you to call the 400 prophets of Ezra. And I want you to put out a challenge. If your God is God, then we're gonna call fire from heaven to burn up the offering that's on the altar. And you go first. So the 450 prophets of Baal begin to call on their God, but nothing happens. And then God calls on the God of Jehovah. And not only does he call on the God of Jehovah, he takes the sacrifice that's on the altar and he puts water all over it. And he says, now God, show them who's God and the fire of heaven comes. And there's this incredible moment where something begins to happen and King Ahab realizes he's drifted. He's become distracted. He's bought into a false way of living. Seriously, this this message could change your life. I'm praying it's gonna change all of our lives. And it's like, he goes, oh my gosh, God, I'm sorry. And he reconnects to the God, Jehovah. Incredible story. Then on the top of Mount Carmel, Elijah finds himself, after all this has happened, he's got his head between his knees, he's praying, and God says, it's time for rain. Three and a half years of nothing. Ever felt like your life is in a drought? And God says, it's time for rain. So Elijah calls the servant, servant, come quickly. Go and look on the horizon. You'll see a cloud. The servant comes back, there's no cloud. So he says, go again a second time. There's no cloud. Third time, no cloud. Fourth time, no cloud. Fifth time, no cloud. Sixth time, no cloud. Some of us have given up far too early. So he says, no, God spoke it. So therefore my life is gonna become significant. Therefore God is gonna give me an answer to smash the plan of the enemy that is over my life. I'm gonna start seeing God. So he says, go again. 
And he says, when you go the seventh time, you're going to see something. He goes, he comes back, Elijah, there's a cloud. I mean, no, clouds bring rain. Actually, God brings rain. The cloud was just the size of a man's hand. Most of us would say, well, we wanted more than that. More than that. But he came, he says, it's beginning. And the rain came and the drought was broken. He tells us that Elijah outran Ahab's chariot as they went to Jezreel. He was pumped. He was fully able. He was under anointing. He could take any Goliath down. He could do it all. Ever been in a place where sometimes you feel, wow, it's amazing to see what God's doing in and through me? And then after that, listen to what happens. 1 Kings 19, Ahab told Jezebel, she's the God prophet killer. All that Elijah had done and now how he had executed all of the prophets with a sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I don't take your life about this time tomorrow. And when he saw that, he got up and he ran for his life. Prophet of God, fully in control. Coming to a place where he runs for his life. He went to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah. And there at Bathsheba, he left his servant. It's an amazing thing, this thought, as we'll see it in a few moments. But he himself went another day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it's enough. I believe that today, there are numbers of us that have got to the end of ourselves. It's like, I've seen God in the past, but where are you now? Why is it so dark here? Why am I so alone here? It's enough. In fact, God, all I want you to do, this is Elijah, this man of God, this prophet, evil prophet slayer. Would you just take my life for I'm no better than my father's? So he fell asleep under a broom tree and suddenly an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. Look, there by your head is a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate, drank, lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, arise and eat. Listen, Elijah, you need to learn something. Hey, the journey is too great for you. Your giftings are not enough. The times of the supernatural and the miraculous, they won't sustain you. You may be here today, and I hope that, again, whether you're up north, down south, you're online, you're here central, you're watching on YouTube, you're one of the stations that use or have our programs. My, my life has shifted when I realized I can't do it. That it's just too hard for me. So he ate again and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and he went into a cave. After those 40 days spent the night in that place, behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you living in a cave? Why are you living contained? You're a man of God. You, you have so much more than you realize. You see, you don't get to a place of depletion overnight. 
But I do want you to understand from my perspective in our life and my life that there are many times where you're gonna have a too much for me season. That it's kind of like, I just, I don't feel the motivation. I, I just want out. And you know what? God says, no, you need to eat and you need to drink. You need to receive something from someone else because the journey is too much for you. You see, he wasn't there with his servant. He wasn't there with anybody. He was there isolated and alone. And I think today I want to encourage you that if you feel like that's the season I'm in, it's okay. If you feel like, hey, I don't know if this marriage can go on. I don't, I don't know if this business has got a future. I don't know if I can keep on going. I feel like I'm done. It's too much for me. I felt like the Holy Spirit makes sure that we all realize here at life that these four thoughts are not just thoughts. They are crucial for us to get all four cylinders working so that we can run with harmony and significance and a sense of success. And so I wanna come back and say, hey, are you partnered? Are you intentionally partnered? Because if it's too much for you, your gift is not enough. Even your breakthrough seasons won't keep you. We're designed to live under the cover of community. Marie and I celebrate 39 years of marriage this year. She, she, she won the jackpot. I won the jackpot, and then we realized we were both pots, not the jackpot. And you go, oh, well, you're lucky you just married the right person. No, the two will become one flesh. You gotta keep on working at marriage. You gotta keep on understanding your differences and working how you can blend together. It's not, it doesn't happen on the altar, the marriage altar. The two will become one flesh and we all drift. And maybe you're here today because God's saying, hey, you're going along, you got a faith, but boy, is your car agitated. Boy, are you not running on all cylinders? And I want to bring you back because you need to realize that your life is more than just your here and now. You're here to live kingdom partnered. You're here to live Holy Spirit powered. You are here to live personally planted and you need to be intentionally partnered. You can't carry it. Boy, there have been so many times in the last 30 years I've gone, I'm done. I just want my problems, not everybody else's. I'm done, it's too much. And it's like, the journey is too great for you. So how do you do it then? Become partnered. Man, when we came to New Zealand 30 years ago, I couldn't believe some of the attitudes of pastors. Like, who, who are you? We don't want anything to do with you. I need you, you, you need me. And then I heard this when we ran conferences. Oh, we don't need international speakers. We've got everything we need here in New Zealand. Number one, that's gonna limit you. We need everybody that can bring something. I remember, I think year two or three, we just decided with this attitude of kind of arm's length and isolation, the enemy had been working and so the church was anemic and so many things were broken down and maybe you're here today because God's saying, don't you let the enemy keep you isolated. You're gonna intentionally partner. So we decided that that Christmas, we'd send every pastor we knew of in the city an envelope with a card in it. and I wrote in the card, hey, pastor so-and-so, thank you so much for what you do in the city. Maybe we don't have a lot to do with each other, but enclosed in this envelope is $200 cash. We don't want you to pay your bills off. We don't want you to pay your building commitment. We want you to go out if you're married with your, your spouse and go and say, hey, you know what? It's not all easy, but God is good. And then I went to, a, you know, other people who said, oh, well, you know, life conference, we don't need that. We don't need this. Hey, we need everything that is going on here because God's 
place is intentionally partnering. Significant living requires a support crew. We need people that are doing the journey with us because the valleys are too deep. And that's why I say, don't just be a now and again church person. Listen, if you're online, often, often we can't get to church and often there is an arm's length. But I gotta tell you, you will only run on three cylinders if you don't get planted in the house of the Lord. And you'll never experience root touch, which is when the winds blow stronger, as I said before, too strong for you. And when you need somebody else's nutrients to help feed you, that's what God says. Even so much more as the day approaches, don't you forsake the gathering together of yourself as is the manner of some. Don't be an arm's length Christian firing along on two cylinders and not really understanding what could be. So you might go, well, Paul, if, if, if you feel like the Holy Spirit underscore, I don't want this to be a March message. I want this to become a part of the fabric of who we are. We are purposed. We are powered. We are planted. We are partnered. Come on, thank God for the South. There's a bit of response out there. Up at North, you are exceeding. Well, if you weren't, you will be in Jesus' name. You say, intentionally partnered, how? Here's the first thought. There needs to be a choice to engage. Choice to engage. Why, why is it at life we, we open the coffee machines before and after church? Because we realize the start of discovering partnership is a choice to engage. Yeah, but I, I don't feel like life's that friendly because nobody talks to me. Well, who, who do you talk to? The Bible says if you want friends, be friendly. If you want good preaching, Respond, engage. Just hit the person next to you and say, flip, he's on fire today. He might be getting gold, older on the outside, but on the inside, he's, you know, sprightly and he's ready to go. And, you know, even if you had a bad week, just smile a little bit. He'll smile. And I, Listen, this isn't just the message. It's like, so how do we intentionally partner? A choice to engage. A person who isolates themselves seeks their own desire and rages against all wise judgment. In other words, I need people around me for the journey is too great for me. Elijah became depleted because he isolated himself more and more and he thought he was the only one doing the job. He left his servant at Bathsheba and he went again on his own when he was feeling depleted. No, that's the time you need your servant that says, Elijah, you can do this, man. You've done it before. Remember the faces of the prophets of Baal? They were scared. They didn't know what to do. Remember when we saw the fire of God fall when they couldn't even get a match to light? Or maybe it's not all over yet. Thanks for those words of encouragement. You in a support group? So you can be in church, but not in a group of people. That you can begin to build a depth of relationship. Oh yeah, I, I come here on Sundays and I love my coffee and say hi to a few people. You're gonna feel very, I'm the only one left, unless you begin to build a deeper set of relationship. Jesus had the same issue in his humanity. Hey guys, you better be with me in the garden because I can't do it. It's too great for me. It's too great for me. And that's not a place of weakness, that's a place of strength. If it's too much, the angel comes and feeds him. Second time he feeds him. Do you know, he went on the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. 
There is no doubt in my mind that God created every human being, that's you, that's me, with a need for dependence. As soon as you lie, buy into the lie that you can do it on your own, you've lost. You might have 40 days with a God visitation, but a sermon won't give you 40 days. It's going to give you a whole lot less than that. And God says the answer is not just getting a top on, on Sunday. It's making sure we're intentionally partnered. Hetangata, hetangata. Hetangata, it's about the people, it's the people, it's the people. God made you and I for people to be real with people. A significant life cannot live isolated. And I think if you're feeling like you're done or you've come to the end of yourself, I'm just trying to encourage you. We all have those feelings. We're all overwhelmed and it's time for us to get honor, honor that, be a part of that, to see God lead us to a place where he takes us beyond where we've been. A choice to engage. The second thought would be there needs to be a commitment to give and receive. I'm saying this to older Christians a lot now. Are you listening or do you just do all the talking? Isn't it amazing if you're kind of somebody that's made it and you've done a lot of things, you think you're the one that has to come up with all the answers. But I think the opposite is the fact there needs to be a two-way exchange for partnership to really kick in. There's a willingness to engage, but then a commitment to give and receive. Because the enemy wants your pride to cause you to become isolated. And so you look at yourself differently. We read this at a wedding, but it's not really a wedding verse. It's a, it's a God principle. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9, two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. If one were to fall, then there is one that can lift up his companion. But woe unto the one that would fall alone, for he has no one to help him. See, we need more than just the Sunday community being planted. We need to be partnered, and that means that we have somebody that will literally lift us and be there for us. One will be overpowered by another, but two can withstand the one that's coming at them. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Let me just say that I think it does talk about God in the equation with everything, but actually I go partnerships begins with one, and then you should have two, and possibly you'll even get three in a lifetime where you're starting to live life with an honesty and a commitment to those that are around you. You see, Elijah would have given up if he didn't have the supply of the food and the drink. And he was there to learn a lesson and to show us because as I said, the angel of the Lord touched him a second time, rise and eat because the journey is too great for you. And I want to, again, dispel this thought that, hey, I got it all together and I can do this and I've overcome and look at the past of what I've done. No, the journey is too great for you. You were never created by God to do it without him. You were never created by God to do it without partners. So who's your go-to? No, 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 not who's your group. Yeah, it's good to know your group, but who's your go-to? Because I don't think if Jesus really didn't want all 12 to be in the garden, he had three. Whether they did the right job or not, he went to three. I think Moses had to find an Aaron and a Hur because the journey was too great for him. And I want to let you know today, and I kind of feel there'll be many people online where 
The devil's trying to sell you a lie that there's no answer to you. Your answer is obviously in Christ, but then in being partnered. And that intentional partnership is a commitment to give and receive. Are you somebody that still can receive? Are you allowing others to help you when you're in need, or do you want to try and do it on your own? And so who is there in your world that when you are down or you've fallen into the well, they're dropping the rope to get you out, and when they've fallen into the well, you're dropping the rope to help them get out? Intentional partnership, a choice to engage. It requires a commitment to give and receive. The third thing would be that to be partnered, and intentionally so, there needs to be a consistency in the rough. You go, wow, what a great church to be a part of. Man, I just got saved. I'm buzzing from air to air. You're gonna find yourself in the rough if you keep walking. If you use the analogy of golf, I'm not a golfer. I walked away from that a long time ago because I got really frustrated when I hit the ball and I prayed before I hit the ball. And I'm going, it's gonna be in line with the hole and it's gonna be on the green and it veers off into the rough. How many know when you're on the green, you go, this is amazing, this game. Next shot, it's in the rough. Right? And in the rough, you can't see where the ball is. And if you're anything like me, you're in the rough and you go, well, God, we just learned a new song on Sunday. Move the immovable. God, we believe. And there's in front of you trees everywhere. God, there's a hole through that. I know that. I'm just gonna hit this harder. I'm not gonna be consistent. I'm just gonna whack the living daylight and God, you're gonna do the miracle. And you whack and then, what, 10 times out of 10, you hear a woody sound. And you say, I'm not giving up, man. I'm a man of faith. I'm, I'm in the lineage of Elijah. I'm gonna hit it again. God, you're gonna do it. Seven times later, you're reminded that there is now the cloud of a size of a man's hand and you should have done what every other golfer was telling you to do is just chip out into the green. I'm not going backwards to go forwards. Am I talking to somebody? So when you're in the rough, why are you walking away from people? When you're in the rough, why, why, why do we start thinking we can run on less cylinders and find a smooth way forward? Who would have thought that Elijah who could call down fire, Elijah, who could himself kill 450 prophets. Who could have thought that a man that can prophesy a drought over a whole land and release the drought would end up running when he found himself in the rough. Every challenge seeks to disconnect and isolate. And I'm just saying it's time for us not to give up by what we're feeling in the here and the now. Don't overreact in your failure. Go, no, I'm not gonna give up. There'll be so many times when our feelings don't align with truth. But don't change the swing in the raft. Don't go, well, I haven't been in church or I'm not really gonna group anymore or I'm not really sharing honestly what I'm going through with somebody right now because I'm just sick of it. I just wanna die. I just wanna go home. I remember there was a few pastors, friends of mine that were playing golf in Sydney. I wasn't there, but they said one of the guys had a shocking round. I think he was on the 16th hole and it had gone bad, I don't know how many holes. But he said that it was so funny to watch the guy said, because he got up to the next hole and he thought, ah, oh, no, stuff it all. He said there was a, a lake over on the side there. So he picked up his whole bag of clubs. He walked like this intentionally. I reckon, I don't know, might've been 50 or 100 meters. He threw it into the lake. 
And he walks back and all the guys are kind of laughing, but not trying, because he was angry. He comes back, the other guys, and then all of a sudden they see him turn around and start going back and they thought, oh, he's repented. He goes over into the lake, he goes up to his knees, he goes down, unzips the side of the pocket, gets his car keys out, and he walks back. <laughs> Anybody? Yo, I can relate to that. It's kind of like, yeah, that's it. But consistency in the rough. There's a, a need for all of us to make sure that when we're in the darkest hour, we're not doing that alone, you know. Uh, I was talking to Pastor Alan. He was saying to me some time ago that, you know, even in our society, in the church and outside the church, around 70%, not just males, but it's a higher figure than females now, have an addiction to pornography. Little kids are being exposed to things online. It's destroying the futures. And do you know what the enemy says? Don't you let anybody know about that. Don't let anybody know. Do you know the outcome of pornography is disempowerment? Disempowerment. It's getting quiet in here because I'm telling the truth. Why would you hide something that'll kill you? I've had numbers of skin cancers. If you don't deal with, deal with the cancer, it will deal with you. So that's why we run a course where it's like, just come alongside other people that are struggling right now. Often the struggle began with not your fault but now you're making decisions about it. Get along to conquer here at life and begin to just say, hey, yeah, I've got issues with that. I shared with the men's group. I think it was the first time, maybe I've said it publicly, but I'm only doing it on the spirit of the moment. I said, do you think Papa Peace ever looked at something he shouldn't look at? I remember as a teenager walking into some toilets in a Zenith Garden Center I was working for and there were some books that were there and straight away I felt cold and it's like, oh no, I ran away. But it's amazing how over a week or two, you're still working there every day. You think about that place. If you don't bring that out in the open, that will bring you undone. Whatever it is, it's like if you've gone through some things in your past and I could never tell anyone about that, you're gonna be running on less cylinders. Here's the guy that outran the king's chariot. And yet he's like that and I think it's there for all of us to realize you can't do life. It's too hard for you. It's just too hard for you. And I'm saying, if you're going to intentionally partner, there has to be a choice to engage. So you say, how do I do that? Get into a group. Start serving. Go through next steps. And just say, I'm going to find people. And it may take you a year to discover a partner. And if you're really blessed, you might get two or three in a lifetime. People that you can really expose your whole heart to. A commitment to give and receive. A, constant, a consistency in the rough. And here's the final thought, a connection, to be honest. Just, just the kind of relationship that's fully transparent and honest. I have people that when I'm hungry need to feed me and I'm there to help feed them. Can I just say this as the team are joining me right across life and everyone online, hear my heart. Elijah's challenge was not Jezebel. Your challenge is not your addiction. Your challenge is not the outcome of what you've been through in your past. It's a challenge, but it's not your challenge. Your challenge, my challenge, is the journey is too great for you. So start getting on kingdom purpose and you'll get one cylinder firing. 
Start becoming Holy Spirit powered. And you'll get another cylinder flying. And then personally get planted and another one will fire. And then intentionally partner. Man, I've been tempted this week. Oh man, my pastor's coming back over me. Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, I need James, John, Pete. You need to come. You're the best of the bunch. You're the ones I'm closest to. Would you you pray for me? Because this is too great for me. Anybody feeling liberated right now? If the Savior of the world says it's too great for me. If Elijah, the man of God, the only prophet to exist, says it's too great for me. And God's saying, hey, what are you doing here then? Elijah, why are you still in the cave? Time to get out of the cave and embark on your purpose. Let the Holy Spirit lead you to a future. We need relationships that are deep enough that we can be transparent and honest. And we've learned to listen. At that point, the engine begins to fire and significance begins to take hold. We all need an inner circle where there is this transparency. And I want to encourage everybody to go, hey, I don't think this is something that happens on an altar call. I don't think you can find partnership until you make a choice to engage, you make a commitment to give and receive. Both of those. If you're a giver, you got to trouble with receiving. We need both. A consistency when it all goes to custard, when it's in the rough. Come on, just hit it out again and keep going. Don't run, don't spit the dummy. And then a connection that's honest. And that's where the change takes place. I've heard this verse many times of I've had to realize that this is a verse for me. It's a verse for every one of us. But James writes in chapter 5, verse 16. And I think he understands what I'm sharing today, that you need to be partnered. He said, would you confess your faults, your sin, your hidden things, your cave activity? Would you confess the things that you haven't really brought to the surface and it's causing you to want to die, to back off, to give up? Confess it to someone else. Would you have people in your world that is your one another? And then would you pray for one another? In other words, do life together because if you do life together, hey tangata, hey tangata, hey tangata, then you would be healed. And the word confess literally means that you would acknowledge openly what has been hidden. I'm just feeling a bit depressed. I'm feeling like it's too hard for me. I'm feeling like this thing of my past is coming back to me. I feel that you may be healed, here it is, to make, it's a process, whole. It doesn't just happen in a moment. I, I don't think you personally can find partners overnight. I'm not sure you'll get them in a month. I think it's a lifelong pursuit to go, I'm gonna, again, do what I'm talking, which is a choice to engage. And I'm gonna begin to look for those people that can take me. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you were encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life. And we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at any of our Auckland campuses. If you're not in Auckland, then check us out 
Church Online, wherever you are in the world. Just head to lifenz.org or download the Life app to stay connected and find out more.